KRCL, Salt Lake City. This is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Rashawn Leak, and on the show tonight, I wanted to dig into the legis- legislative session that just ended to see how we did. Joining me tonight is executive producer Laura Jones. Hey, Rashawn. You know, it's so weird seeing you right across the, the board from me. It feels so good, Laura. It feels so good to be back at it. Oh, man. So, uh... Love Roundtable Tuesdays that you've been doing, and we've kept it going through Zoom, but I'm so glad that we have people in the studio with us tonight. So who are we going to recap the legislative session with? And I'm going to try and keep my soapbox in the other room. I love it. I love it. So we have the one and only Catherine Weller, president of the League of Women Voters of Utah, and we have Lilla Mahmood. Legislative and Policy Council at the American Civil Liberties Union of Utah, better known as ACLU of Utah. But first, some rallies and resources and a few events I wanted to make sure that our listeners knew about. What do you pick? All right. I know. So many things coming up. So March 31st, Trans March, 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock p.m., hosted by Project Rainbow. They'll be starting off this... They'll be starting off at the south steps of the Capitol, marching two blocks south to City Creek Park. Bring your signs. It's Transgender Day of Visibility. There'll be speakers. Come meet new friends, old friends, and mingle with the people, the community. Yeah. So that is on the 31st. We're going to try and get them in on your show next week to talk more about uh, it. I love it. I love it. And it starts at 5. And if you're not familiar with Project Rainbow, Lucas Horn started this. Um, you know how you stake flags for the 4th of July? Yep, yeah. Boy Scouts guy around. Well, they decided to do the same thing, but for, for pride reasons. And so here's another opportunity, and they're leading a march given the bills that were passed. And we're going to talk about the bills yeah, that we were got, passed. We got later some this things hour. to talk about. And you know, honestly, I love it. And I got to give a shout out to my wife, Joe. Every year, we've every year since they've been doing it, we've yeah. been getting our, our trans flags, make sure. And we've even, so now our neighborhood has them. So you start seeing See? them across. See what and you started? It's hu- I mean, it's huge. <laughs> I won't take credit. That was my wife. But, I, you know, the thing is, it's always nice, you know, to, to know that you have people who are in your corner. You know, yeah. representation matters, as we always say on the show. And so it's just, it's. It's a little something we could do just to let people know that we're we're there. We stand stand in solidarity. All right, what else? All right, and then we have Friday, April first. The Utah Black Chamber presents an evening in Harlem. Evening in Harlem celebrates the Harlem Renaissance, the artistic explosion of the Black community during the 1920s and early 30s. Proceeds from this event benefit UBC's Black Success Center, the economic development hub for Utah's Black community. The center hosts several educational programs to start and elevate small black businesses and black business professionals. So that's coming up, and there's something that's happening at 7 o'clock tonight that I would be remiss if I didn't mention. That's Black, Bold, and Brilliant. There it is. The March edition is happening, and you are, as soon as you're done with the show, going in the other room and jumping on the Zoom. What's happening? So tonight we are we're doing uh, Compensation. It, it's a movie that I would say that was uh, ahead of its time. It was, uh, I think... I want to say it was 1994 yeah. that Zena Davis. Uh, that's that's when she made it. It's it's a it's a good movie. It's a, you know it it touches on a couple things. It's a silent movie that you know really touches on uh, like the the relationship between speaker non speaker. You know, so it it was interesting. Well, there's time travel too. Yeah, there's time travel. We talked it's, about this on the it's show past last week. and present. I it was really I like yeah. I like the way she did it. I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to her about it. 
Well, you can still reserve your seat, folks, if you go to utahfilmcenter.org slash event slash compensation. So you're all going to watch it. There's a pre-recorded Q&A with the director. Yep, yep. And then you're all going to watch it. Are you going to talk about it afterward? or? Yeah, we're going to okay. talk about it through. Yeah, afterwards. It, it should be, like, I'm, I'm interested because it's not something you normally see. You not. You know, I, 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 and I would say maybe it's just my novice eyes because I'm that's not my world that I grew up in. But it's a nice juxtaposition of you know going from going from something that happened. I don't I don't want to give too much away, but it, I would say arguably the 1930s. Yeah. And then it switches to like you know the 2000s. I would say, and it just the duality of those relationships of both timepieces. It's really interesting. Yeah. Well, and it has that kind of Ken Burns quality to it. It does. <laughs> it, you know, and and I what I'm really what I really love about the silent film is when you know the the fact that someone's not talking so you're not going to be engaged in the words that they're saying yeah. so you start focusing on the eyes and the facial expressions mm-hmm. and it's it really captures you because you you know you, you you get drawn in by the visual context of it yeah so that's tonight seven o'clock utah film center the black bold and brilliant collaboration and uh, thanks for stepping into that slot. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, it, it's it's nice. That, you know, uh, it, I it's fun to be pulled in, in in so many directions, but for a good cause, but yeah. for good causes, I should say. So we have a special guest. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. A uh, special guest is calling for a denim day community photo shoot, and uh, our guest is Nick. Artiaga, prevention coordinator for the Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault, or UCASA. 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 Welcome to Radioactive, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So, Denim Day. Let's talk about it. Like, what? what is it? Where did it start from? Give us the lowdown. Yep. I'm going to do my best. So, Denim Day uh, started back in 1999. I believe the organization that got it up and running was the Peace Over Violence, an organization in L.A., and it started uh, because a Utah su- Italian Supreme Court judge, um, trigger warning, by the way, for the content that we're going to be discussing. Appreciate that. Um, uh, overturned a rape conviction um, because the victim or the survivor of sexual assault, rather, was wearing really tight jeans. And so, therefore, it was inferred that consent was given because the perpetrator would not have been able to remove the article of clothing you know, on his own. Therefore, she... Should wow. have assisted. Pretzel yeah. logic of the time. Uh, right? I, yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm gonna just be honest. Uh, I I was I was annoyed and perturbed when I read it last night, and uh, that that emotion hasn't gone away, Nick. It's yeah. it's ridiculous. It really is. And so this really wasn't that long ago. Like I said, it it, it happened 1998, I believe, and shortly after is when this started. So, Denim Day is actually the longest and largest. A running campaign, you know, for sexual assault awareness. So it's really important that we celebrate it, um, and naturally, so it's it's in April, which we recognize as Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and it falls on the last Wednesday of April of that year. So it will change; the date will mm-hmm. change, um, but it's always on a Wednesday. And so we're just making sure that people are aware, that people know that we see them, we believe you, you matter. You know, even though this is a designated day for us to recognize that and really be intentional about that this is this is an everyday thing this affects way too many people i i mean you you hit the you hit the nail on the on the head right there like the fact that you know we see you and we believe you because those are those are strong statements because if if i can't imagine you know i can't imagine being in that position having to hear a judge overturn something because of your outfit right after the fact after after the after fact, the fact. Yeah. It, it's 
it's just so wild. And so, I mean, what woman is going to want to come out and say anything? Because, and, and, and like you called out, this happened in 1999. But, but we know that as a country, we have not grown up since then. We are still seeing things that are, that are off-putting and things that are very problematic happening to our, our women, to our, I, I mean, just just to our transgender uh, community, there's yeah. there's things that are still plaguing our our peoples today. Yeah. Yep. Nick, the denim day photo shoot though is happening this weekend because we got to get the photos done before the date. Right. So right. how can folks? This is, you know, we talk a lot of, on this on the show about um, rape culture, mm-hmm. about prevention strategies, about education strategies. But here's something that folks can do. That is proactive and fun. I don't think you get that word a lot. With no, not, <laughs> the not, not with this topic. Prevention strategies necessarily, Nick. Yeah. So it, tell us about what's happening this weekend, when and where. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so we thought it would be really empowering and really powerful to have the community come in and take these pictures where they can tell their own stories, talk about why w- they wear denim, and just be able to be in a space where they can see other people like them. Mm -hmm. Like you said at the beginning, representation matters, visibility matters. You know, knowing that you're surrounded by people who either thoroughly understand what you're experiencing, the pain that you've, you know, endured, and the frustration and all the horrible nuances that come, you know, with trying to put your truth out there. And like you said, the victim blaming. Um, And so we're hoping that holding this space for people to congregate, have their picture taken, share their stories, share their messages, and again, just be in a space where they know they're gonna get validation everywhere they look. Um, And you mentioned Project Rainbow earlier on the call, which Mm -hmm. I love. So um, uh, Roberto Lopez is actually our volunteer photographer. So that organization and the people in it just keep doing good things all around. So I'm excited to plug them yet again. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So where, so all our listeners, where, where is this taking place? So we'll be at Murray Park. Um, we're going to set up flags, you know, the big rainbow and big trans flags mm-hmm. once we stake out a, a, a nice spot. So we'll be letting people know exactly where uh, the day of. But we are asking folks to please register just so that we can, you know, make sure that everyone's signing their media release forms and yes, things like that. We need to be oh, yes. very intentional with that. Where can, so. they, where can they do that? Where can they sign up? Um, so if, you know what, that's a good question. I believe. You think it's on the website? It is. I know for sure it's on uh, Rape Recovery Center's website because they're part of the committee that are helping me plan this event. We'll put it in the show notes, folks, so you can find it easily. Um, So two to five at Murray Park, but they do want you to register for the Denim Day community photo shoot. Sign that media release and then come as you are and uh, wear your your denim. denim. Yeah, (laughs) definitely wear denim. We asked folks if they needed help procuring some items. So under the Umbrella Bookstore is going to donate a few denim. Uh, clothing articles to make sure that everybody has the proper attire. Like if, if you need an accessory. Uh, yeah. So here's yeah. here's my thought. Okay, Very people. Cool so you live out in Murray, right? So yeah, I live in Murray. <laughs> but I, th- here's here's what I'm asking for. I'm I'm just putting it out there. If y'all don't come out here looking <laughs> like Justin Timberlake and Britney same. Spears, all denim out. Yeah, I'm a, we got. We might have words. I, I mean, I'm gonna be happy to see you. I'm not even gonna pretend. You but want denim power I need. Couples. I need denim. I need denim couples. <laughs> denim couples. All right, but all right, Nick. You know, jo- all joking aside, why don't let's talk a little bit about uh, Yukasa. So, so where? When did Yukasa start? What's Yukasa all about? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, it started. You know, we're. 
I know Laura has the way. I know, I'm pulling Laura up the about it. page. <laughs> it has a long and storied history it in really the community. Does. I, I did all of my homework while I was interviewing for this job, and I think I just forgot everything. <laughs> oh, that, hey, that happens I'll be to the honest. Of us, brother. 1996, by a group yep. of people with a vision of uniting Utahns to end sexual violence. The founding goals increase support, resources, and services for survivors of sexual assault. And boy, it, we, we're in a very conservative community. Talking about yeah. things that are taboo have been hard for a long time. Mm. We're better now than we were in 1996, but what do you think are our challenges right now, Nick? I mean, there are so many. Uh, I just kind of wanted to share some statistics just to paint a picture right now. Utah ranks 11th as the most dangerous state mm. uh, for, you know, for sexual violence, whether it's assault or rape. Um, and right now, Utah's rates currently um, supersede the national average. Wow. So the national average, so just to put it into perspective, numbers, 55.5 uh, rapes uh, or acts of sexual assault per every 100,000 people, and the national average is 41.7. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I'm asking I, you to state the obvious, I, I, but I think it bears I, repeating, folks. I think a lot of it comes from just the lack of education that we mm -hmm. that we don't have in our school systems, that we don't have in other social institutions um, that are pretty prevalent out here. I, that's that's my own personal well, opinion, and from my own personal experience, right? yeah, that has been a huge barrier because, unfortunately, being a survivor of sexual assault is correlated or equated to you know having sinned or being bad or having done something yes. to have caused that or perpetuated the, the violence connotation that goes along with it right that's been you know cast upon you and unfortunately there's a lot of rhetoric there's mm -hmm. a lot of jokes there's a lot of storylines that we're familiar there's with. legislation everywhere. we can't exactly. get passed mm -hmm. exactly you know there was another bill that would have taught about um sexual violence and put in context and age appropriate and it wasn't right. passed you know, the notion of comprehensive sex education that talks about healthy relationships yep. is always, it's like, no, this needs to take place in the home, but our rates show it's not taking place in the home. Right. And I, it, can I assume yeah. that? Is that a proper assumption? That's a safe assumption. And about 80% of survivors know their perpetrator. Mm -hmm. So these are, you know, people, authority figures. These are trusted individuals. These are adults. These are... People parents these are family members these are coaches these are you know really revered individuals mm -hmm. or respected individuals and oftentimes you know whatever they've done outweighs the testimony yeah. or the folks that oh, are yeah. coming forward and that's which really makes unfortunate. And to mm -hmm. your point which makes coming forward even that much harder if it's yeah. somebody who is beloved in your yeah. specific community yeah. so what is uh, we talked about it off off air before so primary prevention yeah so what does that look like so primary prevention is basically, you know, doing everything that we can before something takes place. So whether it's, you know, any kind of anything that we can do to ensure that we're not perpetuating any kind of rhetoric that allows these kinds of things, these horrible violence to take place. So it would be having conversations like this. Mm -hmm. It would be holding um, community gatherings like the photo shoot that we're putting together. It's you know having conversations in the classrooms or wherever you can where is appropriate. It's talking to your youth at a very young age about what their genitals are called and who should or shouldn't be you know putting their hands where you know a doctor visit may be a little bit different than you know a, a hug or yeah. something. But letting them know what's appropriate and empowering our youth you know to have autonomy and to respect that and everything that comes with it consent 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 does yukasa have curriculum or yes, or suggested scripts to have these because i think 
because there's such an emphasis on we only talk about this at home, yep. keep it out of schools. Sure. You know, kids are going to find out about it one yeah. way or another, folks. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's going to be the internet. And what you find on the internet is can be really scary in those conversations. So, do you have like suggested modeled conversations yeah. for appropriate conversations? Yeah. You know, that's a really good question. I thought you were going to ask if we had any curriculum on you know prevention. That and too. We well, do yeah. have we do have our forty hour uh, training. Uh, through UCASA, which is basically just a comprehensive list of, you know, experts in their field that pertain to sexual violence, the education around it, the laws, um, you know, our SANE nurses who do the examinations after the fact, law enforcement, you know, first responders. Um, and who gets so to take that training? Anybody who wants to. It's for community members. It's for folks who are working, um, you know, with with that demographic or, you know, with that population who has experienced sexual assault. Um, and really it's for anybody, but especially we want our law enforcement, first responders, people that should already be trauma informed, Mm -hmm. uh, just based off, you know, the population of people that they're serving on a regular basis and to, and to be equipped, right. To have those conversations and to listen and to really understand and realize that maybe the conversations aren't lining up or the timelines aren't quite making sense, but to just be there for the the survivor well and Planned Parenthood has a lot of great curriculum on Mm -hmm. conversations Mm -hmm. and they have their teen ambassadors program so another great partner between UCASA Rape Recovery Center Planned Parenthood of Utah all three of you um, bring unique uh, resources Mm -hmm. to the community on this subject well let's get the website and remind folks one more time about Denim Day community photo shoot that's coming up who what when where why Nick yeah, so it'll be uh, this Saturday, March 19th. Um, we have slots between 2 and 5 p.m. And we will have our flag staked out for folks to find us. And I will be emailing um, and texting individuals uh, t- by tomorrow at the latest to let them know that they have been invited to participate. So you got to sign up on the website, yes. which is? Um, so right now, it should it should be up on social media. That's where we've been posting okay. a lot of stuff. I know we have our... Um, Utah Sexual Violence Conference happening this weekend. So there are a lot of things that are on the front page Mm -hmm. of our website. So I don't want folks to get lost. um, But I know Rape Recovery has it listed on theirs. Uh, their Great. page there with more Yeah, there's a link in the bio. We'll be sure to put it all in the show notes, yeah. folks. But ucasa.org is a great resource. Absolutely. Do check it out. And Nick, are you available to go and talk to community groups? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Prevention coordinator for, for UCASA. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. I love thank it. Thank you so much. It. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and dropping some knowledge bombs. We appreciate <laughs> that for sure. <laughs> thank you for having me. This is an important uh, topic, and we don't talk about it enough. No, so it, 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 we, we don't. And, and the fact that we rank so high shows that we really do need to absolutely so well you're welcome back anytime thank you our mics are yours that's what radioactive that's what krcl that's what we're here for so when we come back we're going to be getting into a legislative recap on civil liberties on voting Mm -hmm. (sighs) stick around what's the song that you wanted to have cool i i feel like we need fight the power (laughs) radio edit here you go public enemy krcl Everyone plays a role in suicide prevention. Call 1-800-273-8255. Talk for 24-7, free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones, and best practices for professionals. KRCL's annual record and CD sale will be making its triumphant return in 2022. We're planning something special, so stay tuned. 
But in the meantime, we'll be taking donations of your gently used, tremendously loved, but slightly neglected records and CDs. If you can let go, we can make sure those treasures get their way to the next music lover in line. Donations are tax deductible and will help power your community radio station, 90.9 FM, KRCL. If you'd like to donate, reach out to me, Eric P. Nelson, at recordsale at krcl.org for details. See you soon. See you soon with all that vinyl, all those CDs. I'll even take some cassette tapes. I'm Laura Jones in studio tonight for Radioactive with Rashawn Leak. Hey, Rashawn. Hey, hey. How's your vinyl? My vinyl's nice. I got a nice little collection. I, I got a I got a habit. Anytime I <laughs> go by a record store, I gotta I gotta peruse, let yeah. my fingers do the walking. <laughs> well, we are collecting again. Thank you so much for your donations. As you're doing your spring clean, we'll take it. Just uh, as Eric said, give him a call, give him a send him an email, Eric N at krcl.org. And coming up at seven o'clock tonight, it's Democracy Now, followed by Vagabond Radio with Barbie at eight. Connor's late night lowdown starts at ten thirty. And then you get your super sounds with Chovy at 1 a.m. All of our programming and the radioactive archives may be found online at krcl.org. In fact, just click the programs tab and you can listen on demand to the last two weeks of any show, including this one. So, Rashawn, it's time to get our Roundtable Tuesday panel on. Introduce our Oh, guest. yes. To my right. I guess they're both sitting to your my right. radio so right. We, to my radio <laughs> right. Not that anybody can see it but us. So we have Catherine Weller, president of the League of Women Voters of Utah, and Lila Mahmoud, Legislative and Policy Counsel at the American Civil Liberties Union of Utah, ACLU. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Happy to be here. Good. So, so session's over. 45 days we made it. I heard we got some good, some bad, and some ugly. <laughs> That, that's that's accurate. Uh, that's yeah, a, I, I try, Catherine. It, it was maniacally. wild, wild. So, where do you want to dig in? You, I, wanna... you know, I, I won't. It is wild. You know, I, I, I won't start with the negative because we already we'll talked about it. We'll get there. <laughs> so, what? Let's let's talk about let's talk about the positives. What 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 do we? What us Utahns? What do we have to look forward to coming up? Let's go with the league. What you got? Okay, so I've got some positive voting bills that passed, and it's always nice to think that there are some positive things that passed. Um, and there were a couple of pretty important ones. One of them I've talked about before, and yay, it passed. It's ballot amendments from uh, Senator Thatcher. It was SB 38, and it was a plain language ballot amendment. So, plain language? We don't have that? Um, no, we have a lot of confusing language on ballots, and especially given the average reading level of Americans these days, it is about eighth grade, which wow. is just, you know, that is what it is. And ballots need to reach mm -hmm. everybody. Well, you shouldn't have to have a PhD to go and no. vote. No. no, no. Or the equivalent reading level of somebody who is a freshman or a sophomore in college, which is what... Uh, balloting language is typically written at. Okay. So this is, is big for accessibility, and we're really pleased by that. Hurrah, hurrah. Yeah. Um, also from our friend Sen Senator Thatcher is the Voting History Amendments Bill. This is a bill that addresses some of those discrepancies that people see when they analyze voting and they think, something's up here. And what's up is that people have opted to make their 
their records private. Ah, because, okay, okay you remember go. the story yeah. where yeah. certain folks looking at the tallies going, this is wrong because there's this much missing. Yep. But you, and we had a representative who, or was it a senator who stepped down because he was requesting all this voting information? Christy Hansen is Chris Christy Hansen. Christian. Yeah. And the reason you can't get it is because a while back, lawmakers passed. This rule that said you could make it private. And that's important. It's important for people who are victims of domestic violence, stalking, 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 all of those survivors who need privacy for any number of reasons. This is something that is good, and we need to protect those voters. This randomly assigns a number to each of those voters each election so that when the reports of who voted come in, you you can can see that Catherine Weller voted, but you also see that number 475 voted too. So you match that against the number of ballots cast and voila, the numbers start to come very close together. And some folks were making some hay out of the numbers not matching, knowing full well why they didn't match. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think that's a smart move because some people just don't want their their names out there. And if if you know that you're still being tallied there's still a record of it because in the back end of things that number is your your voting record essentially yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. we're making we're making some things okay. that from a civil liberties perspective lila are you happy about those two the past do they make sense to you yeah i think that's something that the aclu was actually working on in the background so those are things that you know we're happy that that made it through very cool we so go. Uh, one of the things that was talked about at the legislative session, Rashawn, I'm sure you saw these stories, was let's go back to paper ballots. I'm ready for them to give me a stone that I have to go put <laughs> in a bucket on only election day between 8 and 5. It didn't pass. It didn't pass. Um, I don't know when we're going to talk about what we can look forward to, but I'm just <laughs> going to, spoiler, look forward to that to come back in interim in one way or yeah. another. Okay. That will be back. And that brings up, Rashawn, what we were talking about just a bit ago, which is once the session is over, the work starts yeah. anew because the folks that things didn't f- didn't go through, mm-hmm. they're going to start working on it again. They're going to start working the angles. And, you know, that's where... Groups like the League of Women Voters of Utah, which nonpartisan, you can get involved with, you can join a committee, you can follow certain bills and get the word out, Catherine. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we like because we want citizens to interact with the legislature, not just lobbyists. lobbyists. (laughs) As much as good work as lobbyists can do, we want citizens up there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, folks, it's the people's house for a reason. The people's house. Okay. Any revisions we want to talk about? Is that the one that didn't pass uh, that we just talked about, Representative Lyman? But that's will come back. HB three eighty seven. Okay, that's getting into the bad. If okay. you want to stick Say with good. elections, right. we'll save it. If you want to talk about good water, I've got good water. All right, let's talk about some good water. Good water. Good water. HB thirty three in stream flows. This is one of those Great Salt Lake bills. I'm trying um, to understand this one because we're part of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative uh, yeah. Solutions Journalism Project, okay. and we're going to be doing a story on this. I think maybe this Thursday. So oh, explain, excellent. Explain to us. So roughly what it does is it makes water flowing into the Great Salt Lake a beneficial use. Yes. That gives it a, a, a special kind of status, which okay. is protection. Good. Oh, yes. there we go. There you go. Because beneficial use previously has only been described as what? You can, you know, spend it, sell it lease it yeah use it yeah, yeah. so basically use it right mm-hmm. it, it it 
pulls water out when we need water to go in. in. And it allows water leases to um, encourage the environment of the Great Salt Lake. So you could lease your water rights to the Great Salt Lake, in essence? Um, It allows you to... I've, that's what I'm trying to find out. That's the tricky one, yeah. and I wish my water person were here because yeah. it, it does allow for leasing of water rights mm-hmm. that may be tied up more. Because mm. I think Kennecott that's, did that last year. Yeah. I think they did that last year where they assigned their leases to basically just go to the Great Salt Lake. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of stuff to See, there's save a lot the Great behind this. Yeah. I'm interested to there hear more is. about that. It's water. Yeah. Do you yeah. own the water that falls on your grass? So, te- no, no. But technically, uh, Murray just started doing a, a new water collection program. So they're giving out vouchers when you can get the bucket and things like that. Mm. The rain barrel. So, the rain mm-hmm. barrel. So yeah. little, little here and there, positive positive movements that reminds me there's a big announcement tomorrow with like 11 municipalities getting together on this issue of conservation so we'll be bringing that to you as well excellent so also watershed enhancement with hb uh, 410 it's an 80 million dollar bill that puts 40 million dollars in a water trust it spends 30 million dollars improving water supply and then even better puts in 10 million for habitat improvements which is very very nice and we can just link that right into great salt lake issues Um, and of course there are the the bills that fund water supply and land use because we need data yes Mm -hmm. we're missing a lot of data and that's what we need to get most of and that's what we're looking to with hb 419 great salt lake amendments is that data finally um secondary water metering yeah it's happening now yes yes you can't it's hard to conserve without knowing what you use. Yep, that's a good call. It's not, it's not to penalize people who have secondary water. It's mm. to help them conserve so that we all have more water and the lake has more water. Exactly. I've got family in Centerville, and they have secondary water. And you got to turn it on and off. Open it up. Yeah, open the pipes up. Yeah. And so it's going to cost quite a bit, and there's turbidity issues because that secondary water has got a lot of grit. Mm-hmm. Oh, in yeah. it. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and whether or not uh, more money needs to be allocated. You know, I heard a lot about the Lake Authority, the Utah Lake Authority. That's in the bad column. Okay. Uh, yeah, totally bad. Time to go bad then. Uh, I think it's time bad. to go bad. Let's go bad. We're going bad, folks. We're breaking bad. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself with a cheesy pun. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, gr- uh, the Utah Lake Authority, this is one of those independent authorities that the legislature seems to enjoy making these days. And it allows Hold Utah on. to usurp local control. Let, yeah, well, yeah. As, let's call that what it actually. Yeah. As Brian King said famously earlier in the session, we're all about local and control until we need to control the locals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, this allows that authority to receive sales tax revenues and it gives it the ability to issue bonds. This is the first step in. Cr- creating that authority that will make a management plan and that will enter into agreements for improvements to the Great Salt Lake. And this is where we can look at things like that plan about of building islands and dredging the lake that's supposed to help it. We know how to save the lake. Mm-hmm. We have the technology. We can, we, yes. <laughs> we The bionic lake. <laughs> um, we don't need another development scheme. 
And that's what is so frustrating when you look at how many folks are developers in the, yep. the, and the Utah House and Senate. And I feel like those messages sit well with them. And it leads me to a topic that I think we can bridge over to the ACLU mm-hmm. and Myla, and that's transparency. Ooh. What's your grade, Catherine? on transparency at the Utah legislature this last session. Last session, I'm going with a D. A Ooh, D. I, I think that's fair. That's I, detention. I, I, yeah, I think that's being nice. Rashawn, what do you think? I, I'm with Catherine. I, 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 you know, here's here's the problem. The one I was holding off on, you know, I, I always have trouble when you hear about them sneaking bills in the last second. And, <sighs> and there's, I mean, one, we're talking about transparency. So, you know, you sneak a bill in, it means no one has had a chance to really review to see what it's all about. And I can't give you a passing grave. You're trying to be sneaky. Like, I can't. Yeah, well, and they snuck something in. I can't remember the bill. Maybe either Catherine or Lila will. But it was a, a forcing Summit County to deal with the developer who wants to build a lot of uh, multifamily housing in a spot on Kimball Junction that they otherwise have not been able to get through local planning. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get Lila in here. Lila mm-hmm. Mahmoud from the ACLU of Utah Legislative and Policy Council. What's your transparency grade? And then we're going to go straight to transgender rights. Oh, oh wow. So we're starting with the bad. Yeah, yeah. I don't get an opportunity to start I mean, with the good. Playtime's over, yeah, Lila. Okay, Play we're getting serious. Over. I see. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't great. Like what you were saying, how they like to sneak some things in sometimes. And we see it regularly at the end of the session session where they suspend the rules which essentially means that you know they don't have to go through the regular processes where something goes into a committee hearing where the public can comment on it and tell legislators you know what they think where they get things done in the last week Mm -hmm. under suspending the rules without you know having the public necessarily having a chance to voice their concerns about it so we had we had Sue Robbins and Troy Williams from Equality Utah on Mm -hmm. last week talking about transgender rights and the bills and the, the compromises, you know, working behind the scenes for over a year with Representative, is it, uh, Berkland? That's right. Um, uh, about the committee in particular for transgender youth, but it's really specifically about transgender girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they, it, and, and the misogyny in that, it's so much pretzel going on, and it's bending my brain, because they don't worry about girls who transition to boys playing yep. boys' sports, but right. they worry this, this other way, and... At the last minute, after lots of negotiation behind the scene, a total ban came out. Now yeah. there's some discussion in the press about who knew what when. Oh, yeah. What, you know, if we had more transparency, would it help this process? I'd like to think so, right? So, th- so the bill that we're talking about is HB 11. It's titled Student Eligibility and Interscholastic Activities, brought by Representative Bricklin. And this bill had three different iterations over the course of the session. The first one was something that required transgender athletes who want to participate in their sport, right, to receive hormone therapy in order to participate in the sport. For you a know, length of time. For, yeah, for a, for, yeah. for a year. Before okay. they can participate in the sport. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was supposed to conform with the NCAA mm-hmm. rules, rules that they yep. had in place. But of course, NCAA changed their rules right at the beginning of the session. So that meant that the bill was scrapped in a way. And that's when they came out with the second version, which was the committee that you were talking about. Wingspan, stride. Yeah, all the, yeah they basically exactly. break apart a woman's body. Right. Yeah. They It would, a, a commission, you know, with loads of different people on it that would be essentially inspecting 
children's bodies to Just determine if they should be playing in their sport, right? <laughs> it's disgusting. Yeah, uh, honestly. And we were kind of surprised that a lot of representatives would be going for that. Like a commission inspecting the bodies of children, like that's a little, that's yeah. kind of shocking, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then, like you said, at the very last moment, literally the last night, late at night, on the last day of the session, they introduced a total ban. That the majority of folks who would be against it had not and, seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and they suspended the rules right. for question and debate and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Under, yeah, I was in the Senate. Under, the Senate had suspended the rules. And yeah, so that was one. <laughs> I, I labeled that as a to be determined because that's a terrible bill that mm -hmm. went through. But Governor Cox vowed to veto the bill. So once it reaches his once desk. Once it reaches his desk. Once it yep. reaches his desk. Yeah. And it hasn't yet? It's I not guess? there yet. No. Yeah. That just sounds like. Someone's just slow walking that paper. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's snail mail. Uh, uh, what I what I really appreciate in, in this one is uh, a couple weeks ago, I want to say you had Jen Plum on. Yeah. And and you know and and she she's what she said has resonated with me so hard. It's because yes, there's a lot that we could be doing to really make sure that we are taking care of our female athletes. But this is not one of them. Right. And as somebody who has grown up, you know, w watching my friends play soccer, basketball, softball, and you see the difference, especially when we get to the collegiate level, of what, even what the locker rooms look like. So if you want to take care of women's sports, as she said, there is plenty of ways yeah. to do it. To but, prove that you yeah, are supportive. But we started here because, what, two, there's been Leah two, Thomas, the two gifted mm -hmm gifted transgender athletes who have gone on to to do amazing in their respective sports yeah. but there's still two out of how many transgender athletes are out there it's just yeah it's it's really disgusting and the difference there is those are like college athletes mm -hmm. professional athletes we're talking about high, high schoolers school yeah and younger yeah and younger so it's just a completely different ball game well let me just throw this out here okay everyone step back from their their uh, areas of expertise and the nature of competition mm-hmm in our country and how we compete and we have done it in such a binary fashion for yeah. a while i mean i don't think we're in star trek land yet where everyone <laughs> yeah, just, just competes <laughs> no categories yeah. i don't know how we get there though I, you know I, I i don't either but but i uh, but i think there's a good discussion because i grew up i mean one of my cousins uh back in jersey phenomenal athlete and she always wound up playing with us because she was just you know not to say that women I aren't mean the boys yeah but she played with the boys because she was just she had excelled past what what, what her skill level with with, with the girls were and there was a i had a couple female friends who, who who did the same thing and i i welcome it i mean my kids play with you know there's all genders in there's in their sports right now you know they're still a little young but i think if if you are good enough to compete at a certain level, then so be it. Why do why do we need? And I don't know. I don't know how we get to that that point where we drop gender yeah. and we just yeah. allow you know athletes to play. Yeah. Are there other bills or goings on shenanigans regarding transgender rights that you wanted to talk about? There were. That was the main one I kind of wanted to dis discuss today because it was just so shocking, mm -hmm. like how it happened. If we want to move on to some good bills, I could definitely yeah, <laughs> take some, some time some and well, 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 talk about some good things. Well, before we do that, I guess my question is, what is your concern or what should we be looking out for over interim on mm -hmm. transgender rights? Because that ban um, is going to get vetoed. 
lawmakers could, in us, in theory, call themselves back into session and attempt an override. Yeah. Oh, that's there right. There are bills in other states that are going before the Supreme Court. There's also was it Idaho, Idaho that just was, yeah. said 15 years in prison if you provide uh, uh, affirmative Gender care, affirmative yeah. affirmative. or if you go outside to g- the state yes. to get it or something. I was listening to a story today. It just boggles the mind. Yeah. The thing is, this is something that is so popular in the national discourse that people in certain areas of the political spectrum are grabbing onto it because mm-hmm. it's kind of a hot topic. Yeah. So and I they think can we use can it to run yeah, and stay yep, in power. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that we can expect to be battling over for some time. And, you know, mm-hmm. we just have to support our trans student athletes. And yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Rashawn, do you see a connection between positive, self, healthy sexual uh, conversations and transgender rights? Oh, Yes. Okay. Yes. Just checking in. All right. So (laughs) (laughs) this is Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones and... I'm Rashawn Leak. All right. Should we go with uh, the rest of the list here from the ACLU? Uh, Yeah, let's get some happy. Mm. We got some happy in there? (laughs) Yeah, we do have some good. So I can talk about some criminal justice reform bills that uh, happened this session. So the first one I'll talk about is HB 171. It's titled Custodial Interrogation Amendments, and it was brought by Representative Wilcox. This is a really cool bill because what it does is it prevents police officers from using deceptive language in custodial interrogations when they are interrogating minors. Mm. That sounds kind of like crazy, but essentially what it means is that police officers can't lie to kids in custodial interrogations when they're talking about evidence or when they're talking about potential leniency in sentencing. You can lie to you and me. You can lie to adults. Just not, just, hey, you know what? You see that in the law and order TV You got to start start somewhere, I guess. I think a lot of people don't realize that police officers, that's like a tactic that they can use in interrogation. Oh, yeah. I've I've experienced that before in my (laughs) previous life. That sounds like a whole show. (laughs) Oh, that could be. Yeah, the Jersey Rashawn, a whole show. Jersey Shore. Oh, no, Laura. They're not even from Jersey. I will be grouped okay, in so with this, those knuckleheads. This is a good thing. It did pass. Yes. And does it take effect immediately, or are we waiting for you know that that May or June effective date? I don't know if you have that information. I, I'm pretty sure it, it comes okay. into effect like right after the session. And that was, I mean, we know that you know children don't have the same. It's not right to lie to anyone, mm-hmm. right? Especially in a situation like a custodial interrogation. Yeah. But it was kind of a compromise, and police came out in support of it. Um, and we know that children don't have the same decision-making capabilities as adults. Yeah, discernment. Yeah, mm-hmm. and something that is so common is false confessions. Oh, absolutely. And people being convicted based off of false confessions because police used deceptive yeah. interrogation tactics. Well, and depending on how your brothers did things growing up and you were used to taking the fall, you, you're, you're susceptible, susceptible to, to authority, that, yeah. authority figures exactly. telling you you're going to lose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there was some really moving testimony. There was... An individual, Martin Tankliff, who was somebody who was a minor who police used deceptive tactics, lied to him, and he was convicted of murdering both of his parents. Wow. Yeah, and he gave testimony, and it was really moving, and I think that's one of the reasons why that bill kind of Mm -hmm. made it through the legislature without much opposition. Good. Okay, so that is HB 171, death penalty. I thought this was going to be a cakewalk to get rid of the death penalty. Not this year. I remember going to, uh, after high school, I went with a friend and went went around England. I was in some museum, and all of a sudden I hear, Utah, Department of Corrections. And it was like a little montage of our death penalty thing. And I have been wanting to get rid of this before that but just to be known around the world for certain death penalty cases I yeah. was really disturbing so I was hopeful 
I, was I think hopeful. we were all hopeful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then, so this bill that we're talking about, HB 174, was aiming to eliminate the death penalty. 174 or 147? Oh, I'm sorry, 147. Excuse my dyslexia. Um, and we were all really hopeful, and then it hit its first committee hearing, and something that happened was there was a lot of really compelling moving testimony from family members yeah. of victims. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't want to downplay the loss of people who have suffered at the hands of the criminal and lost a family member. But there is a good reason yeah. for this. As someone from the ACLU, maybe you can articulate yeah. um, that, you know, these cases that go on forever and ever and ever. Exactly. And folks die on death row. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, there were people who were, you know, family members of victims who were coming out in support. And one of the things that they kept on saying is how difficult it was because a lot of the, the people who are on death row are just sitting there like waiting, right. you know? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they were talking about that was so difficult was having to like relive the situations when something came up in mm -hmm. that individual's case because they, you know, they were still on death row. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was a long committee hearing and unfortunately it did not pass out um it was really close though it was like i think a six five yeah, vote. I see that. yeah so i think that's something that's just gonna keep coming back and we just have to keep trying mm -hmm. um and and that's something for folks to remember if you decided to get involved in this legislative session and you didn't get the wins you wanted you know dust yourself off pick yep. yourself up get back involved it's and not uh, over keep going all right, so we also have officer intervention and reporting amendments and in the wake of the George Floyd case in particular. This has yeah. a lot of, of meaning. Yes, so this was one of those bills that we might not have been expecting to sail through, but police came out in full support of this bill. Good. Yeah, and so that it kind of under the radar just like absolutely sailed through. So what this bill does, it's Senate Bill 126, um, is that it creates a reporting mechanism for officers who see other officers engaging in misconduct and requires them to intervene and report that misconduct. Intervene and report. Yeah, intervene see something, say something. Report. Exactly, right? And then the other thing that this bill does is it creates protections for those officers who decide That's to do huge. the right thing yeah. and intervene and report because... It's essentially whistleblowers. Yeah, breaking it's, down the blue shield. It's protecting whistleblowers. Yeah, exactly. Because we know and we've seen that sometimes officers don't intervene because they're afraid of retaliation mm -hmm. or they do intervene and report and they receive retaliation. Yeah. So then it just completely disincentivizes them from doing the right thing. So this was a really wonderful bill and that's this is something I think we can be really proud of. Agreed. So some good stuff there, but I'm afraid as we head to education that we might be getting sad. I just might be getting sad. I'm keeping hope alive. I'm keeping hope alive, but I I am with you. I'm with you. All right, let's let's do it. Okay. So we had kind of a slew of bills that were affecting education. I'm only going to talk about two of them. Um, one of them was HB 374, titled Sensitive Materials in School. And this was a bill that was attempting to essentially, it was a book banning bill, mm -hmm. right? I'll just be plain about it, I guess. Love it. <laughs> what yep, it was thank attempting, you for that honesty. Yeah, what it was attempting to do in its original version was remove books from public schools, from the libraries and from the classrooms that included what they were calling sensitive material, which the original version of the bill defined as anything that was a dis discussion or depiction of sexual conduct. It made an exemption for, you know, like, instructional materials and health classes or medical classes we don't have those classes <laughs> no no that, that's an easy pass for <laughs> but medical tax etc okay yeah. i get yeah. that like biology they do teach biology mm -hmm. and yeah. any anyway you know 
this is, it creates an entire list for kids to go and uh, look up online, le.utah.gov, and find all the supporting material and turn to the exact page their parents mm-hmm. don't want them right. to, to see. So how did this shake out again? So this was a bill where we came out in opposition in its original form, and it passed out of the first its first committee hearing in its original form um, with a lot of parent support because it was branded as a keeping pornography out of school bill. The reality is that we were worried that this was going to mean it would be banning books from certain perspectives, mm-hmm. black and brown authors, LGBTQ L- yep. characters, just because they included you know something that would be a sensitive material, whereas books like you know Romeo and Juliet, which is all kinds of yep. uncomfortable, so inappropriate. Him going uh, on. Yeah, last time I read the Bible, it's kind of it's kind of yeah. wild in right. there too. I don't think they can have the Bible in the school library <laughs> to tell you the truth, but it wouldn't surprise me if there is a copy here and there. It becomes contraband. Um, so, so what do we got to worry about here? So, luckily, I we ended up not having to worry about it too much because a substitute came out that really narrowed that extremely broad language of just anything with sexual conduct, and it narrowed it to things depicting pornography or you know like actual pornography yeah so okay. what it did is it conformed like this bill to the what we already already have. existing yeah okay. which so you can't have then no longer already. opposed it as the aclu it became yeah. neutral we became neutral okay right? because you know any book banning bill isn't great but this mm. is something that conformed to what you already can't have right so. mm. all right i'm gonna deep breathe. i know deep breathe here <laughs> I, as we're talking about sb257 divisive concepts in government and education hit yeah, this was kind of a wild bill. I think you've heard like the natural the national discourse about these kind of anti-critical race theory bills. Mm-hmm. And this was I'm just going to say I think our own version of it even though maybe the representative wasn't trying to frame it like that. So essentially what it did is it banned discussion of what they were calling divisive concepts, which if you look at the bill, it's like 20 lines. It's such a broad category of what could be considered divisive, which was the main issue in it. It was essentially what it was trying to do was stop important conversations, important but difficult conversations right. about race, gender, and sexuality. And what happened with this bill is that it was kind of so controversial that the other senators on the committee realized it needed a lot more work because it was too broad. And after Representative Johnson's presentation, they moved to adjourn the meeting. Oh, that's where he's left sputtering as a witness. Oh, really? Yeah. Turn my back back on. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't have public comment on it. A lot of so people in the audience. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're a little bit disappointed. I mean, very disappointed yeah. about that. But that was the They realized their own folly, perhaps, mm-hmm. as a supermajority. So this is a bill that will be back. I mean. I hope not, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, yeah. probably. All right, let's talk about that a little bit when the time we have remaining about this notion of banning discussion in education of divisive topics. A- any any kid could say, I find this divisive. Yeah, where, no, who gets I, to call it? I mean, that's, a, that's the point right there, Laura. Who gets to say what's divisive and what's not? Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that Bill kept on mentioning is, we're not trying to erase history. We just want a balanced approach. But our history wasn't balanced, no. right? Mm-mm. Certain people were more affected than other people, and we have to talk about that. Yeah. Catherine, you got any thoughts on this whole thing? You're just, she's like, don't make me come in here. <laughs> Get it. Get him, Catherine. You know my day job, so I have opinions. Um, <laughs> well, I take off one hat and put on the other. You're more than Well, welcome. I will say the league, firm, the league firmly supports letting educators make decisions about educational materials. Parents have places in the classrooms, but when we're talking about limiting speech, limiting materials... The league comes down firmly on the side of speech and access to materials. As a bookseller, from my day job, 
telling people you can't talk about something, be it racial oppression, slavery, sex, you name it, Nazism. Um, ban a book, tell people they can't talk about it, and they're going to walk into my bookstore and they're going to buy it. So right now I'm just going to say thank you, Utah State Legislature. You have made a profitable <laughs> month for me. And this reminds me to come back to a couple of bills on elections that I wanted to talk about, and I really think a civil liberties angle is here as well. So Catherine, HB 387, HB 313, we need to talk about these election integrity amendments passed, the uh, security amendments passed, but there was last minute floor changes. And so talk about the process on this. And again, transparency, so Lila, weigh in whenever. Yeah, Yeah, so 313, HB 313, is one of those bills that was changed under suspension of the rules at the last minute. There was a substitute introduced that made this bill not great, but livable. Uh, that substitute was left behind under suspension of rules and they dropped in a new substitute so that what this bill does is it is requiring a certain amount of signature verification, a certain amount of surveillance of drop boxes. And this is where it gets really tricky is the surveillance of drop boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, you know, what about my privacy and my ballot and all that stuff? And as some senators said when they were discussing it in the hearing, my grandson takes all of our ballots to the box and drops them in because it's part of the civic education thing. So what are people going to think when they see yep. this kid dropping a bunch of ballots in the box? That this kid just, yep, that yeah, this kid just well, voted. It's, it's legal because yeah. he's a family member. Okay. But what are they going to think? Yep. Lila. Yeah, Lila. Um, what is the surveillance really going to do, right? Like, no, <laughs> I think silly. that's what it comes down to. P- putting cameras on top of drop boxes, what is it really going to accomplish? Waste taxpayer dollars. There you go. And the fiscal note on this is smaller than on the original bill, but we are looking at approximately 700000 rounding up, one-time expenses for local governments to implement this bill, and then annually 183000 and change for each election year after that to maintain these changes. So yes, it is more expensive to give people more th- more things to worry about when it's not no, necessary. Never, it's just not yeah. necessary. Nothing shown that we have mm-hmm. concerns. Any on 387 you want to talk about? Election integrity? Um, this bill ended up being relatively neutral at the end. It is a bit burdensome on counties, but um, there is it's still trying to fix a problem that isn't a problem. Um, It's trying to report on ballots not counted and gives, basically reinforces a lot of statute that already exists for um, processing certain kinds of ballots. It's, It's okay, it's not grand. It's okay, it's not grand. Lila, any thoughts from your perspective, civil liberties perspective? Yeah, I think the thing that some of the legislators forget is that Utahns love vote by mail. 
And any burdens that they're trying to place on vote by mail, it's not doing any good for anyone, including themselves who are elected by vote by mail. Well, and who passed all the laws. Right, exactly. That's how we have it in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these things Mm -hmm. like surveilling the drop boxes and it's adding extra burdens on voters when we've already, you know, like said that we like vote by mail in Utah. It works for Utah. It's it's just not necessary, like you said. It's not, and that's where we can pivot to what will happen with HB 371, Representative Lyman's bill, which didn't pass, which was the sweeping reform of all of the the good voting efforts we've had. It didn't pass. I want to say that again. It didn't pass. Um, however, there will piece, be pieces of that that come back in come interim. Back. Yeah. So, folks, it's time to get involved and engaged with some nonprofits like the League, like the ACLU of Utah, and, uh, you know, start using your people power. In fact, I think the both of you have tomorrow your own legislative wrap sessions online. Lila? Yeah, that's right. Ours will be at noon. It'll be a Zoom session, and anybody who's interested can tune in and get a little bit more of some of the same things I talked about today, but some other things as well. And how did you incorporate interns or volunteers during the legislative session is there an opportunity to volunteer with ACLU absolutely we can always use more people we have community organizers who make a real difference you know we organize people to be at the state house we ask people to call the representatives it really does make a difference when I've talked with representatives they say I've heard this from my constituent you know and that's why I'm doing this on a bill and then the League of Women Voters of Utah, you have your legislative wrap session tomorrow online as well we do we have it at 7 p.m. they can go to LWV lwvutah.org <laughs> to uh, log into that Zoom session. And folks, of course, can get involved. Uh, th- my favorite thing about the League of Women Voters of Utah is your strict nonpartisan approach, but you also have these committees, so you can bite off the little piece that you want to get involved in and in watching the people's business. Oh, yeah, choose your issue. <laughs> um, we've got water people, we've got education people, judiciary, voting, you name it. So thank you so much. What's the website? lwvutah.org. And Lila? ACLU Utah. Thank you so much for coming in and doing our legislative re- recap. I appreciate it. Uh, I almost said wreak havoc, so <laughs> it feels like that. <laughs> My thanks to all of our guests this hour and you for plugging into your community during Radioactive weeknights at 6. Questions, comments, suggestions, you can email radioactive at krcl.org. And, of course, you can also do voicemail with me. And I'm trying to remember what my voicemail number is as I pull it up here on the old computer. It's uh, 385-800-1889. 385-800-1889. Disregard whatever voicemail message I have there. You can tell me whatever you want. And include a song to go with it because we love to have you help us build out the playlist here on Radioactive our show for community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. On behalf of Rashawn Leak, I'm Laura Jones. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. KRCL, Salt Lake City. Downsizing your car collection or simply tired of looking at that project car sitting in the back of your driveway in pieces? Either way, consider donating it to KRCL. And our friends at Cars, Inc. will take it from there. No hassles, no fees. You get a tax receipt, and KRCL gets a donation. But best of all, the music you love never stops. Visit the support tab at krcl.org for more information and how to donate. Thanks, y'all.